Ah, yes, and welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. This is Greg Mraz, your host, your provider of content here in San Francisco. Thanks again for listening to MLB Morning Coffee. I told you all last week that we were going to try and have a more positive week of shows upcoming this week, and I want to do that for this upcoming week. So what I wanted to do today is we're 10 days away from the first baseball game happening. And all signs right now are pointing to baseball actually happening. So for me, I wanted to go through and give my projection for what I think each division is going to look like. Now, it's a very intriguing schedule this year because every team is only playing nine different opponents and they're playing a majority of the games against teams from their own division. And then the other games are going to get played against the teams in the other leagues equivalent of that geographic division. So how does Major League Baseball look in a 60-game season where anything can happen? So I look at the strength of each division, and I pit it against the other division, and I kind of evaluate where I think each division is going to go. So let's start with the AL East. Baltimore is going to be terrible. They are a young team. They're a team that's got still that albatross of a contract with Chris Davis. They just are not very good. They are fully in rebuilding mode, and I think they're going to end up being a doormat. I see the same thing with the Miami Marlins. They've got some young pitching talent that's going to come up. They've got a lot of prospects that are just about a year or two away from making an impact. I think the 2023 Miami Marlins could be very good, even the 2022 Miami Marlins. This year's team, not so much. I look at, in the AL East, the Toronto Blue Jays is a team that's going to be middling. I see the Boston Red Sox as a team that is not going to be very good because they traded away Mookie Betts, who was probably the second-best player in the American League behind Mike Trout, and they're just aging in a lot of different places. So the AL East is going to be the Rays and the Yankees, and I think with the Rays, they've got a lot of guys in that bullpen to where they can bullpen a ton of different games. You've got the dynamic duo of Diego Castillo and Jose Alvarado at the back end of that bullpen. Still a pretty good young core. And then the Yankees, they're still going to be the same team that they had been. But the Yankees just lost a role as Chapman, at least for the time being, to a positive COVID test. So a role as Chapman is going to be out. I don't know how big of a difference that makes for the Yankees as a whole. They are obviously still waiting on the status of Masahiro Tanaka. Aaron Judge is out right now with a stiff neck. I'm not so sure what the Yankees are going to be, but I see those two teams as the two best in the American League East. So how does that compare against the rest of their division? I think Baltimore's a doormat. I think Toronto could be a doormat. And the Red Sox will be 50-50. When you're playing against the other division, the Marlins are not going to be very good. I think the Mets have a chance to be okay. The Mets are an intriguing team because of who Pete Alonso is and what Pete Alonso could provide in a short season. They still have a pretty darn good pitching staff, the Mets do. Dellen Batances, I think, was a nice acquisition. They picked up Marcus Stroman last year in order to be that 
secondary guy on the staff behind Jacob DeGrom. Noah Syndergaard is obviously somebody that you cannot rely upon in terms of his health. You've got Rick Porcello as well. I think that Rick Porcello is somebody that is due for a bounce-back season. Who knows what's going to happen position-wise. Joanna Cespedes is not nearly the guy that he once was. Robinson Cano is 37 years old. They're going to be an okay team. But again, you're in a situation where anything can happen in a 60-game stretch. And especially for the Mets, Robinson Cano getting to be the DH this year is going to be huge for them. The Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals are the two best teams in that division by far. But how are they going to match up against each other? How will they match up against teams from the AL East? I think that Washington losing Anthony Rendon is going to be one of the biggest factors out there. They wanted to keep Rendon, but given the money that the Angels gave him, they decided not to keep him. And the Philadelphia Phillies are a team that has added some interesting pieces. They brought in Andrew McCutcheon last offseason. Jay Bruce is a part of the squad now, which is going to be intriguing to see what he looks like at age 33. Granted, he was a part of their team at the back end of last season, but Jay Bruce is not the same Jay Bruce that we remember from Cincinnati. And then you look at the Atlanta Braves. They've got a great young pitching staff. Ozzie Albies, Ronald Acuna, two of the most exciting position players in the game. This is a team that I think is primed to win it all at some point in the next couple of years, but the Atlanta Braves are interesting because they're a team that has been ravaged by COVID-19. Freddie Freeman tested positive, and he is not yet back. He is feeling really badly right now. They've also lost Will Smith, their free agent closer acquisition. They've also lost Nick Markakis, who decided to opt out of the season. This is not looking good for the Atlanta Braves in terms of their health. And when I look at the way that the schedule is going to turn out, you know, what are the Braves going to be able to do if they don't have Freddie Freeman? And if for some reason they're not able to get Will Smith back? I thought the Braves were the most talented team in the NL East going into this year. I still think that, but I think that they're a lot more vulnerable than most thought they would be pre-coronavirus. So the East, I think, has got a couple of bottom feeder teams in both leagues, but they've also got elite teams in both leagues. So I think your three best teams in the Easts, if you're going to give your playoff contenders from the Easts, are going to be the Rays, the Yankees, and the Braves in no particular order. Again, the Universal DH, though, is going to play a big part in all of this. So I think that given the expanded rosters and the fact that teams don't have a limit on the amount of pitchers, with Universal DH, you don't need as many position players. So that's why I think the Tampa Bay Rays are a team that is going to be in prime position given that they stay healthy. And again, This season is going to be about who stays the healthiest, not just in terms of injuries, but in terms of COVID-19. That's going to be the biggest part of all of this. And I think that when you look at the way that the Rays roster is constructed, you've got a pretty solid outfield of Kevin Kiermeyer, Manuel Margot, Austin Meadows, and Hunter Renfro. Brandon Lau is going to be a really good piece for a long time. Yandy Diaz, G-Man Choi, Willie Adamas. There's some speculation that 
if he has a good camp in summer camp, that you could see top MLB pipeline prospect Wander Franco at some point during the 2020 season. Now, a lot of teams are going to be very hesitant over service time, but I think that if Franco proves to be, quote-unquote, ready to play, they're going to give him an opportunity to play. So let's move on to the Central Division, where in the AL Central, there's one elite team, that's the Minnesota Twins. The Twins added Josh Donaldson, who is going to provide a huge boost power-wise to a team that set the American League record for homers in a season. Miguel Sano's status is a little bit up in the air after his COVID-19 test. Again, even guys that have recovered, you still have to be mindful of where they are health-wise and what type of effect that could have on their decision to either play the season or sit out. Now, our episode on Friday called The Opt-Outs Are Coming, I still expect that even after this episode publishes on Monday morning that we're going to see more teams decide, or rather more players, decide to opt out. The Chicago White Sox are the second best team in the division by talent, but they just had Michael Kopech opt out of the 2020 season. Kopech is coming off a Tommy John surgery. He's the former Red Sox prospect that was dealt to the White Sox in the Chris Sale deal, and he can throw 102 miles an hour. However, the one thing about Kopech is that, as Don Cooper said to Chicago media on Sunday, that he has dealt with some anxiety and depression, and he's opting out of this season because he just doesn't feel comfortable, and Cooper basically said, I hope that he is okay in terms of his mental state, and we all hope that that's the case for Michael Kopech. We all hope that he is handling what he needs to handle in terms of getting his mind right. And if it means not playing this season and not having to deal with the stresses of playing during a global health crisis, then you know what? So be it. That's the right thing to do. The Indians are a team that they traded away Corey Kluber in the offseason. They're going to try and trade Francisco Lindor at some point. I think Cleveland is going to be okay given that it's a short season, but they're not nearly as talented as the White Sox or the Twins. Now, the bottom of the division are two of the worst teams in baseball from a year ago, the Kansas City Royals and the Detroit Tigers. Now, there's a lot of talk about the Tigers trying to bring up some of their top prospect pitching talent, like a Casey Mize, and see what that might do for them, or potentially even first overall pick from this year, Spencer Torkelson. But I don't think that that's going to do a whole lot in terms of development. Plus, you don't want to start Torkelson's service time clock if you don't actually want him to be in the big leagues this year. Now, Casey Mize, I think you could open with him on the 30-man roster to start the season, have him pitch out of the bullpen, and really just jumpstart his experience in the big league so that once you get to a hopefully normal season in 2021 that he's ready to roll. But the Tigers are not going to be competitive this year, at least in my opinion, because they don't yet have the position player talent to be able to compete at the level of the White Sox or the Twins. Now on the NL side of things, now Detroit and Kansas City I think are going to be the two teams that everybody just rolls over. The Reds have picked up a lot of talent, and the Reds, to me, are going to be the surprise team because the Reds, everybody thought last year would be a lot better and then be on the verge of becoming great, but the Reds, I think, are a team that has the opportunity this year with everybody that they've acquired to really step it up. 
Sonny Gray, I think, is going to come back into form. I think Wade Miley was a really good pickup for them in the rotation. Pedro Strope out of the bullpen is going to be pretty solid as well. I like what they did picking up Mike Moustakis. I think that Moose at his age is going to be fantastic for the Reds. He's proven that he can play third along with second base and first base. He's not going to play a lot of second base. That's just what the Brewers wanted him to do with that logjam they had with Travis Shaw. And I think that Moustakis is somebody that still has a heavy bat and somebody that's going to provide some veteran leadership as a guy that has won and can get a lot of these young, talented guys like a Nick Senzel to play at their best games. Aristides Aquino, I think, is going to be a lot of fun to watch in his second year. I remember every Sports Center highlight last year was how much farther is Aristides Aquino going to hit a home run? And don't forget, they still have a very solid veteran in Eugenio Suarez, and don't forget Joey Votto. The Cubs are going to be an interesting team because the Cubs' rotation is getting old. John Lester might be on his last legs. They're going to be without Jose Quintana for at least the first two weeks of the season after he damaged a nerve in his throwing thumb while washing dishes, which I don't know how you do that unless you're using a knife. The Brewers are going to be a team that will be interesting, especially having Ryan Braun now as their full-time DH. I think the Brewers are a team that, although they're not as talented as they were the last two years, they're still going to be pretty good. And the Cardinals are always solid. So Paul Goldschmidt is that guy that is always going to provide the thump in the middle of the lineup. I think that the Central is going to be the strongest division in all of baseball, the NL Central, that is. So... It's going to be very difficult for the teams in the AL Central to walk over anybody except for maybe the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I look at the Central Division and I say the best teams in the AL Central are clearly the Twins before anybody else and then the White Sox. In the National League, I'm looking at if I'm talking about who's done it and who is most loaded up to do it, I still got to go with the Cardinals. But don't be surprised if the Reds end up being one of the best teams in that division, especially a team that has a bunch of young guys like they do and guys that kind of play with reckless abandon, and they'll basically say, hey, you know what? Let's fire it up. Let's go. 60 games. See what happens. Now, in the West, I think it's going to be a little bit more defined on both sides. I think that in the NL West, the Dodgers are so much better than everybody else and the Dodgers are as talented as anybody else, especially with Mookie Betts now, that even with David Price opting out and Hinjin Ryu, now a member of the Toronto Blue Jays, the Dodgers are a lot better than the Giants, who are in full rebuilding mode and trying to dump more salary like Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarja. They are better than the Rockies, who went backwards unexpectedly last year, and now they've got internal drama with Nolan Arenado, and I'm not sure how much longer... He's going to end up being a Colorado Rocky, albeit he'll be with them for at least this season. I'm not sure who else is going to want to take on his contract, given the financial scenarios of what's going to happen to baseball down the line. I also look at the Arizona Diamondbacks as a team that they've got some talent, especially with Cattell Marte. I really like watching Cattell Marte play, but I'm not convinced that they have the pitching staff that's going to be able to compete. And I think that While the Diamondbacks are a team that's going to be decent and they won't be spectacular, 
The Padres are a team that's really intriguing because you've got a couple of guys that are still in the prime of their career that are decent power hitters and decent hitters for average in Manny Machado, who is one of the top players in the game, and Eric Hosmer over at first base. Fernando Tatis Jr., I think, is going to be a game changer. There's a possibility that top minor league pitching prospect Mackenzie Gore ends up on the 30-man roster to start the season, and I think there's a lot of people that are expecting a lot from him. Taylor Trammell, somebody that you could see make his major league debut at some point this year. Not sure if they want to start his service time clock already, but the Padres have one of the best farm systems in all of baseball. In fact, I'd probably say... They have, I think they had seven top 100 prospects, which is the most of any team in all of baseball. I'd be excited to see what the Padres do this year and if they decide to, quote-unquote, let the kids play and bring up a bunch of their young guys and start the clock on some of them. Get them that major league experience. But I know for a fact that the best team in five years in the NL West is going to be the San Diego Padres. There's no question in my mind that the Padres in the year 2025, whether they are there at that year or there before that year, that all of the talent that they have in the minor leagues and how young that talent is and how controllable it is, five years from now, that's going to be the best team in all of baseball. At some point, it will be. You can hold me to that. So I don't think that the Dodgers are going to have any trouble winning the National League West this year. I go to the American League West, and I see the Oakland A's, who have been a 97-win team each of the last two years, but a team that has gotten off to slow starts. And in a 60-game season, you can't get off to a slow start. You could lose five of your first 15 games, and you're out of it, or it feels like you're out of it. You've got the Astros, who... They're in a really interesting position right now because they're dealing with issues surrounding COVID-19 testing. Alex Bregman has been absent from workouts. They're still dealing with the fallout of the sign-stealing scandal. And a manager in Dusty Baker who hasn't really been around them all that much since spring training got stopped in early March. Then I look at the Angels, who are a team that has just got a whole heck of a lot of hitters and not really many pitchers, and let's see if Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon and Shohei Otani can try and slug their way to some victories. I look at the Seattle Mariners as a team that's getting better, albeit rebuilding. They've got a very exciting center fielder in Kyle Lewis, and somebody who my buddy Braden Bishop I think is going to end up playing probably center field, and Kyle Lewis could play one of the two corner outfield spots. But Kyle Lewis, this dude was the Golden Spikes Award winner in 2015, and he is just quite simply, I think actually 2016, first round pick by the Mariners that year, he is simply going to be a stud now that he is healthy. He is a very well-composed individual, somebody that I've had a chance to meet, interview actually, a couple of times, and I adore Kyle Lewis. I think he's going to be a star. The Mariners are going to be better. They still won't be good. The Rangers, they picked up Corey Kluber. That's a big get. The Rangers are still young. The whole Joey Gallo situation is going to be interesting to see how he ends up playing this year, given that he has had so much mystery surrounding his testing. But I think it's the A's, the Astros, and everybody else still. So 
I kind of look at the NL West, at least the bottom half of the NL West, as being somewhat of the doormats, and I look at the top half of the AL West as being the teams that are going to be really tough to beat. Again, we look at this brief preview, and we talk about this in a microcosm of everything that's going on, and we basically have to throw everything that I've said, which granted, this is a preview that's just a quick overlook at how this is going to go. The scheduling is going to determine how a lot of these teams end up playing because you're playing a lot against your own division. You still have to take into account the teams in the other division, but in your own division, I think people would probably say your strongest divisions are the AL East, the NL Central, and probably the NL East. So the American League West has got two pretty good teams, and the National League West has got one good team, one elite team, I should say. And you look at all of this and you say, well, in 60 games, a team could get hot and completely throw off the whole thing. That's what I think people are having a tough time getting adjusted to is how are the hot and cold streaks of a normal season going to end up factoring into the standings in a 60-game schedule? I think the schedule in terms of the strength of the opponents in your division because you're mainly playing divisional opponents, a higher percentage than you would normally, or at least I think it's a higher percentage than you would normally. I'm going to have to do the math on that quickly in my head. Yeah, you play normally 19 times against each of the teams in your own division. That's 76. So 76 over 162 is about 45%. And here you're playing 66.7% of your games against teams from your own division. So it's a higher percentage. Less games, higher percentage. How that skews out, it'll be interesting to see how it happens. So I would predict that based upon the strength of your own division, the Dodgers will have the best record in the National League. I would say the second best record is probably going to be the Atlanta Braves. Your third best record, it might be the Washington Nationals. I think your fourth best record ends up in the NL Central because the talent disparity is a lot less in the NL Central and, for that matter, the AL Central than it is the NL West and the AL West and the NL East and the AL East because the bottom of the Eastern Divisions and the bottom of the Western Divisions are a lot worse than the bottom of the two Central Divisions. Now, the Tigers are bad, the Royals are not good, and the Pirates are bad, but the teams above them are not as bad as your Marlins or your Giants, Rockies. Look, throw all this out the window because who knows if we're even going to get the season in. All I'm trying to do by this exercise is kind of bring it back to the we've got baseball in 10 days. This is how you have to think about what this season is going to end up being. I guarantee you there's going to be some significant news of some sort today, and that means that we are going to talk about it tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Thanks again for listening to MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day, and as always, we'll talk to you in the a.m.